Uh, Father, thank you for this time together. Um, thank you for, again, just for your scriptures, which, um, which teach us and which guide us. And uh, in your word, you say that, that scripture is a lamp unto our feet, that it illuminates um, where we should go. And Lord, we know that in this life that there is so much uncertainty uh, that in our finite knowledge, God, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, and yet we can be confident, we can be assured in you. Um, and so as we talk about this topic of your will and discerning your will and making decisions tonight, uh, I pray, Lord, that it would be clarifying for us and we would learn from it. Um, and more importantly, that it would just change the way that we live. It would help us to worship you and love you more. So thank you, God. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So tonight, we're, if you haven't been with us, we've been going through this kind of four-week series on uh, work and career or vocation. Um, and we're going to kind of wrap up the teaching por portion of that um, by talking about God's will tonight. And I know it says the work in God's will. I'm mostly going to be talking about God's will. And I just added work in there. Um, but I think this is a very important like, topic, obviously, right? when it comes to thinking about jobs and careers. Um, and so hopefully this will be clarifying to you. I want to begin by having you just trying to imagine these scenarios. Okay? You've worked hard in college, and you are presented with two job offers. And one pays you a little bit more, uh, but it requires you to move to a brand new place. The other pays you less, but you can stay close to home. You can keep going to your current church. What do you do? Or maybe your parents insist that you, along with all of your siblings, pursue a certain career, whether that's medicine or engineering or, or whatever, uh, but it's like not really your passion, right? It's, it's not what you want to do. And maybe you can get by, maybe you can even get into med school, uh, but you know that it's not really what you would choose for yourself. What do you do? What major do you choose? Um, Things are going well, for, say you're working, things are going well for you at work, and your boss wants to promote you to a higher position, right? And uh, your higher position means making more money, and making more money means opening up more opportunities to help others and to be generous, but it also means less time with your family. And so how do you like weigh those options, right? What do you do? Uh, how about this one? The elders at your church, they, plan, they have plans to plant a church. And they're sending your fearless leader and your beloved college pastor to go. <laughs> do you go with him? Right? What do you do? And we can go on and on when it comes to these various scenarios. Um, and we're just talking about like this subset of work, right? Like, what do you do when it comes to our work? And there's like endless number of categories, right? What do you do with relationships? How do we discern God's will in, in this or that? And as you think about these scenarios, how do you make these kinds of decisions? Like, how do you know what God's will is for you uh, in these kinds of situations? And maybe as you're thinking about that, like, you feel like, oh, God, it would just be a lot easier if you just told me what to do, right? If you just, like, directed me in a certain direction, then it would spare you a lot of confusion and a lot of trouble. Um, as we begin, let me just kind of make a disclaimer. Scripture does teach us about the value of wisdom. Okay, And this is not what I'm going to talk about tonight, but uh, specifically in Proverbs, it talks about how the wise person knows how to skillfully live. Like the wise person knows how to kind of navigate through life, um, but the foolish per person shuns knowledge and it leads to destruction. So in other words... Uh, like I said, this is not what we're going to talk about, but we don't always have to learn the hard way. Okay, like we don't have to learn by experience. So there is like a certain skill to making decisions and living in a way where we're blessed. 
But what I want to talk about tonight is knowing God's will for the direction of our lives. Okay, for the direction of our lives. Like, what path does God want us to take when we reach a fork in the road? And I think when it comes to this particular topic, um, discerning God's will or finding God's will, uh, a lot of Christians misunderstand and they believe a bunch of like wonky stuff when it comes to this aspect of God's will. Okay, um, there's a story in Judges chapter 6. Um, it's about one of the leaders of Israel named Gideon. And maybe you guys have, are familiar with this story. But God directs Gideon to gather the Israelite troops against the Midianites. The Midianites are Israel's enemies. Um, but Gideon is like afraid and he's reluctant and he wants to be sure that God is really telling him to do this. Right? So what he does is he, um, he asks for a sign. And he asks not once, but actually twice. Um, and so God gives him a sign. And what Gideon does is he puts out this like wool fleece and he says, okay, God, um, if you make this fleece wet and the surrounding ground is dry, then I know that you're, you're talking to me. Like I'm no, I know that you're telling me to do this. Um, and he does that like the, other, the flip side too. Um, and God, like in this story, being extremely patient, extremely merciful, gives Gideon the sign. Um, and God confirms what he wants Gideon to do by, uh, by making this fleece wet. Right? And people have taken this sort of story and other instances like it, and they like, overemphasize this search for these kind of subjective signs from God. Like, this is what I need to find God's will. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, he wrote a book about the will of God. It's called Just Do Something. Um, and this is his subtitle. I think it captures how, how wacky some of these signs can become. He says, Just Do Something. How to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, etc. Right? Like that's the, the, like that's the stuff that people are looking to, to find God's will. And I think as we talk about this, um, this is important because misunderstanding God's will, as described in Scripture, is not only wrong, like it's not only kind of wacky, but it can actually be kind of dangerous. It might lead to us being disappointed, confused, um, even acting in ways that are straight up unbiblical. And so I hope tonight, as we talk about this, that it will give you some clarity. Um, and yeah, we will understand what it means to, uh, to, to find God's will, I guess, quote unquote. Okay, so two aspects of God's will. I think part of the confusion uh, when it comes to knowing God's will is because when you look in Scripture, it actually talks about the will of God in two different ways. Okay, um, and I think Deuteronomy 29.29 is helpful for us in this regard. This is what it says. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Okay, so in this verse, we see that there are the secret things, right? And uh, it says that they belong to God. And then there are the things that are revealed, which Moses says belong to us and our children. Okay, so there is this aspect to God's will that he has intended for us to know. He's meant for us to know. But there's also this other aspect to God's will that he doesn't intend for us to know. And theologians have separated these two aspects of God's will uh, into these two categories. Um, God's hidden will and God's revealed will. Um, other people call it God's will of decree versus God's will of desire. We'll go with hidden will and revealed will. Um, let's, let's start with God's hidden will. Okay, so God's hidden will is everything that God has decreed. Everything that God has decreed. 
So everything that happens in the universe, everything that happens in your life takes place because God has willed it. Okay, because he is sovereign and whatever he wills happens. Whether we are talking about the most catastrophic natural disaster to the movement of the smallest atom, uh, Matthew 10, 29, it says, Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father. Okay, uh, Romans 13, 1, it says that the government, right, the governing authorities are in place because God has established it. And you think of like just all of the human activity that goes into selecting our government leaders, right? Voting, like campaigning, all of that. And Romans 13, 1 says they're there because God established them. Okay, so God's hidden will always comes to pass no matter what. Whatever God decrees happens. And as the name says, this aspect of God's will is hidden from us. Okay, it's hidden from us. God hasn't told us everything that he knows or everything that he's going to do. We simply don't know what these things are until they happen. Um, a couple more verses for you guys. Psalm thirty-three, eleven: The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Um, Proverbs sixteen, thirty-three: The lot is cast into the lap, but his every decision is from the Lord. Okay, everything that happens is part of God's hidden will, his will of decree. And at this point, you might be thinking... Well, if God's hidden will, will means that he has decreed everything, does that include both good and evil? Right? And we don't have time to go more into that because um, there's certain layers to that. Um, but I think the short answer is yes. God has part of his will of decree is good and evil in scripture and affirms this. Um, I want you to think back to the story of Joseph and his brothers, right? Um, Joseph's brothers, they get jealous of Joseph's coat, right? His uh, technicolor dream coat. And so they sell him into slavery. Um, And what happens is Joseph, he ends up rising in power, right? In Egypt. Um, and, And since he's in power, he has authority to save the nation from famine. Okay, and at the end of like this whole story, there is this uh, really good verse in Genesis fifty twenty, and you might have heard this before. Uh, it says, "And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good." Right? Like even in uh, uh, Joseph's brother's sin of selling him into slavery, like God brought about good purposes from it. Um, I think an even more significant example of both good and evil being contained in God's hidden will is the cross, right? Like, that's the most obvious example. Um, Acts 4, 27 to 28. Um, I think this is Peter preaching. He says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Okay, so in that passage, you see two actors, Right? You see human actors who sold or who turned Jesus over to the hands of Herod and Pontius Pilate. Um, but you also see God, right? who, who appointed all of this. Um, it says that Jesus' death on the cross was predestined by God's hand and plan to take place. Right? You think of like the cross, the pinnacle of human evil. The greatest demonstration of sin and human evil, uh, even that ultimately serves God's greater purposes. And those purposes, namely being redemption and salvation and forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Okay, so, um, yeah, everything, including good and evil, um, are, are underneath God's will of decree or God's sovereign and hidden will. 
Ephesians 1.11, it says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that means that though we might not always understand like why God does what he does, his purposes, we simply have to trust his wisdom. Okay, so when it comes to this question, uh, like what is tomorrow going to look like? Or what is tomorrow going to bring for me? Or what is the rest of my life going to look like? Or even what is next year going to look like? Um, I, I think the simple answer is like we just don't know. Right? We don't know. And we're not going to know until it happens. Because it's hidden from us. And it's not something for us to find. Okay, like we're not supposed to know. We don't know, but God does. And what we do know is that whatever tomorrow brings, it's going to serve his purposes. Okay, so that's the first aspect. That's God's hidden will. The second one is God's revealed will. God's revealed will. And this is what God has chosen to make known to us, namely through his word. What God has chosen to make known to us, namely through his word. Okay, so whereas God's hidden will always comes to pass, no matter what, God's revealed will, it can be obeyed or disobeyed. Okay, his revealed will can be obeyed or disobeyed. Let me give you some examples. A um, couple verses in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, first one, Paul says, For this is the will of God. Okay, what is that? It's your sanctification. Right, if you want to ask, what is God's will for my life? Paul says, it's your sanctification. And then he gets more specific. He says that you abstain from sexual immorality. Um, in 5.18, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, so it's, Paul says, It's the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality and that you give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I want you to just think about your past week. Right? Um, have you done that? Like, have you obeyed God's will? And I'm guessing that many of us have failed to do those things this week, right? Like, many of us here have either had lustful thoughts or we've grumbled about um, some inconvenience that came up. We haven't been grateful. In those instances, what does Scripture say that you have done? You've broken God's will, right? Like, you've, you've gone against His will for your life. Um, and so that's His, his revealed will. Um, and I think we need to understand both of these different categories. Uh, and it, there's a lot of implications, but I just want to spend time talking about three of them. Okay, so first, first, it helps us to categorize certain things that happen in our lives in a way that is biblical. It helps us to categorize things that happen in our lives in a way that is biblical. It helps us to make sense of the confusion of life. Um, when you look around at the world, when you turn on the news... And you see things like murder or abortion or sexual assault or terrorism or racism happening. Maybe you've asked yourself this, like, how can you really say that God's will is being done? Or when your friend or your family member um, continues to reject the gospel or you unfairly lose your job uh, and it's not your fault. Like, how can you really say that God's will is being done? And those aren't easy questions, okay? Those are difficult questions to answer. And we have to acknowledge that we live in this, like, tension between God's hidden will, right? What God is going to do and his revealed will, what God has told us to do, right? We live in that, like, uncomfortable in-between sometimes. 
right? And there's this like uncomfortableness to the reality reality that God seems to decree certain things that are clearly against his revealed will in order to accomplish his bigger plan. But I think understanding these two aspects of God's will as revealed in scripture allows us to affirm at least two things. Okay, first is that we can be assured that God is in control and that whatever happens is indeed his will and that he's able to work all of your pain and all of your loss together for your good. And that's what Romans 8.28 says. Despite what happens, God is in control. Whatever happens is indeed part of his will and he's able to work all things for your good. Okay, that's the first thing that we can uh, affirm. Okay, second thing, we can be assured that God empathizes with us and that he doesn't delight in our sin or our pain. Um, in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says that God is patient with the lost. Right? He's patient with those who are rejecting him because he doesn't desire any to perish. Okay, like that's God's disposition. He doesn't want anyone to perish without knowing him. Um, in John 11, uh, the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. And we learn that he wept over the, the, the death of his friend Lazarus, even though he knew like later on he would raise Lazarus up from the dead. All right, so all of these like bad things that happen, we can be assured that God doesn't delight in them, even if it's part of his plan. Okay, so that's the first thing. It helps us to, to categorize things in a way that's biblical, consistent with Scripture. Okay, second thing. It focuses us on getting to know God's revealed will for our lives through His Word. It focuses us on getting to know God's revealed will for our lives through His Word. Um, as we mentioned earlier, many of us are very eager to figure out God's will for our lives. Right. And um, that's not a bad thing. OK, like we I hope you guys are, are trying to make the right decisions um, and we should be seeking the Lord's leading in decisions where there is no like real black or white or no real right or wrong. Um, and especially for you guys in this season of life, like you have a bunch of those decisions, right? like what to study, where to live after, what to do. But here's the thing. We need to be cautious about being so caught caught up in asking those questions that we lose sight of the answers that God has already provided. Okay? We have to be cautious about getting so caught up in asking questions that we lose sight of the answers that God has already provided. We said it earlier. God's hidden will isn't meant for us to know ahead of time. Okay? It isn't revealed to us until it actually happens. But... God's revealed will has been given to us. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says that God has given his word so that we might be complete, equipped for every good work. Um, 2 Peter 1, 3, it says that God has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, we have all that we need in order to know and to follow him because God has revealed it to us in scripture. He's given all that to us in his word. Um, Romans 12 to you. I know this is a familiar verse for you guys. Uh, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so um, in this verse, right, it teaches us, as believers, we are called to discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Okay, we're not trying to figure out the secret will of God. We're not trying to figure out what God plans to do. But we're, we're called to discern the revealed will of God and what we ought to do. And how does that happen in that verse? Paul says, it happens by the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind. That God renews our minds by His Word. And the more and more time that you spend in Scripture, the more that you become shaped by it, the more that you become governed by it, so that you begin to see all of life and you assess everything with the mind of Christ. Right? That's what Romans 12.2 is talking about. You renew our minds by Scripture so that we know and we can discern what is the will of God. What's good and acceptable and perfect. And so simply put, if you want to know God's will for your life, um, then you have to get to know His Word. You have to get to know His Word. And it might not answer all of the questions that you're asking, but it will answer all of the questions that you should be asking. Um, let me give you an example. Um, dating, right? I'm sure that at least some of you have spent a good amount of time thinking about dating, right? It's spring quarter, by the way. Ring by spring. Should I ask him or her out? Um, should we start dating? When should we start dating? And we ask all of these questions, and we are so terribly concerned about making the right decision and choosing the right person, right? And uh, don't get me wrong. You, you don't want to just, like, date anyone, right? It's important to ask these questions. But where we go wrong is when we start to think that this is the most important thing. Okay, when we believe that the success of our whole dating and maybe even married life will depend on making the right choice. Right? That's where like that whole idea of are you gonna marry the one works or it comes from. And what is the assumption here? If we are in God's will, if we make the right choice, then life will be easy and comfortable and trouble free and it'll just be happily ever after. Where we go wrong is when we're no longer seeking understanding, but we're seeking omniscience. We're seeking to know everything like God does. When we want to know every step, every turn, every possibility, every outcome. And so, what is God's will for you in dating? It is not mainly about who you date or when you choose to date. His priority for you in dating is to be godly. Okay, whether you are single or whether you are married, whether you marry this person or whether you marry that person. Um, same thing applies to your job and your career. Okay, just replace your boyfriend and girlfriend with your job in this example. <laughs> the most important thing to God, according to scripture, isn't where you go. Okay, it's not like what kind of work that you do. It's your Christ-likeness. It's your sanctification. This is the will of God for your life. Your sanctification, not your occupation. Um, let me talk about this idea of calling a little bit. Okay, You guys have probably heard that, right? Like, what is your calling? Or maybe you've said that yourself. I think God is calling me to like, pursue this particular career. Um, now, I know that not everyone means the same thing when they use the word calling. Okay, But let me talk about it in the context of like career or work or, or job. Um, someone might ask you, what is your calling? Like, and what they mean by that is, what job or what career did God create you to do? Right? And uh, the thinking is like, it's this one big thing in your life that you're supposed to do. Right? It's the one big thing that you were born to do that gives you significance and meaning. 
And I think there's certain appeals to, to that idea, like to, to have this like singular calling. Um, for example, it gives us an extra sense of significance, right? Uh, if, if you know, like, I'm doing what I was called to do, and this is like what I think God created me to do, then I can get through things when, when times are hard, right? It gives us a little more motivation. Um, or it, it gives us hope, right? Like maybe you are doing something and you're not enjoying it and you think that your calling is somewhere else. And so there's like the hope of something better because you're like outside of God's calling, right? My true calling is, is somewhere else. And if you, if you notice, people only say calling when they're talking about something like significant, you know, like, oh, my calling is to be a doctor or a pastor or like, they're not going to say my calling is to like sell insurance or, or something like that. <laughs> Let me tell you what, how scripture describes calling. Okay, the word call or calling in scripture. 90% of the time, when scripture uses that word, it refers to either the act of naming something. For example, you will call him Isaac. Okay, you will call him this or that. Or the act of crying out or summoning someone. Like, I'm going to call you uh, in my presence. Okay, that's 90% of the time in scripture. Besides those instances, the word is used to describe the general call to believe the gospel. Okay, the general call to believe the gospel. Or the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. Um, example is Romans 8.30, right, where the Holy Spirit calls a believer to regeneration and, and saving faith. Or calling refers to someone's position and identity as a member of God's people. And Paul talks about this, like you're called to live a certain way because you're a part of God's people. Okay, uh, last one is the call of a prophet or an apostle. Those are the main ways. Um, so general call of the gospel, effectual call of the Holy Spirit, um, one's position or identity as a member of God's people, and the call of a prophet or apostle. Basically, scripture doesn't talk about calling the way that many people talk about calling, which is like the single big, big thing that defines you and makes up your entire life. There is an instance in scripture where it does talk about, talk about calling that I think is closer to what we have in mind. Um, it comes from 1 Corinthians 7. So why don't you guys turn there, actually. 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to look at verses 17 to 24. All right, let me read this real quick. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who, call, who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Okay, the context of this is Paul is talking to bond servants, and he's talking about their relationships with their master. Um, and he's going to talk about like marriage um, and singleness later, and I think some of the same principles can apply. Um, 
But I want you to notice how Paul uses the word call in this passage. Okay, most of the time that he uses the word call, he's talking about the moment when someone gets saved. Okay, he says, for example, uh, verse 18, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Basically, if you're circumcised already when you became a Christian, that's cool. Stay that way. That's the main use of the word call in this passage, except in verse 17. In verse 17, we have a different use of the word call. This is what he says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Um, Quick uh, kind of hermeneutics lesson. In scripture, there's this thing called parallelism. And parallelism helps us to understand, like it helps us to find, uh, define something else in scripture. That's what uh, Paul does here. Okay. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. What do I mean by that? Here's another way to put it. To which God has called it. Okay, so whatever the Lord has assigned to them is the same thing as to which God has called him. You see that God's calling for you is not this one singular big thing that you are like supposed to find. God's calling for you is the entire set of circumstances that makes up your life. It's the entire set of circumstances that makes up your life. Let me put it like this. You are already called. Okay, who you are, where you are, what you're doing, the people that you know, what you know right now. That is your calling. It's not just where am I going to end up in the future or what am I going to do, or, but it is where has God put me right now. That's your calling. See, your job is never the most important thing about you. Can we talk about faithfulness in life? Faithfulness is never confined to just like one area of your life. It's everything that God has called you to do. And here's another thing about your calling in verse 21. He says, your calling or those things that make up your calling, those things can change. Okay, they can change. Ready? He says in verse 21, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself or take advantage of that opportunity. Right? He doesn't say, okay, if you're a slave, like just stay a slave forever. No, he says, if there's an opportunity for freedom, take advantage of that opportunity. Like God can change your circumstances. Okay, so if you're in a situation where you feel trapped or like you no longer enjoy what you're doing, you know what? God can change that. And so while you are in the middle of that, Don't just focus all of your energy into how you can get out of it. Focus, rather, on how you can be faithful in it. While God would still have you there. Right? And that applies, he's going to talk about, like, singleness and dating, too. Like, same idea. Right? If you're single right now, like, you're not bound to a life of singleness. God can change that. But while you're in that season, don't focus so much on, like, getting out of that season Take, make the most of it while you're still there. And so what does that mean for us? I think one implication of having this bigger understanding of our calling as not just this singular thing, but the entirety of our lives means that we can loosen our grip a little bit on that one thing that we think we're supposed to have. Right? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, like I absolutely must get into med school or my life will be over. Or like, I absolutely must like, pass this class so that I can get recruited by this company or, or whatever it might be. 
or maybe for you, it's even like a spiritual thing, right? Like, I absolutely must go on missions in this country because, like, that's where I, I see myself. I think once we understand that, like, right now is what God has called us to, we're able to loosen our grip on our plans a little bit. And when we're able to loosen our grips, then what happens is we can actually humbly ask for and listen to and receive counsel from other people. Right? Like their counsel actually means something to us. And we can ask people, hey, like, where do you think I'm gifted? Like, where do you think my abilities are? Where do you think I would be a good fit in? Like, maybe I really want to be a very, like, maybe I want to be a professional musician, right? But like, God just hasn't particularly gifted me in that way. Like, I'm, if, if I know that, okay, that's, that's maybe something I want to do, but it's not my calling, per se, then I'm able to take feedback, right? I'm able to, like, listen to other people, and I, and I know that my value and my significance doesn't come from that one thing. And so how do we make decisions about job and career? Um, it's hard, I, I think, to give, like, hard and fast guidelines because every situation is different. Um, I guess I'll say a few things. God's Word helps set up or helps give us clarity, Right? It helps set up like, certain markers and boundaries for making our decisions. Um, for example, Scripture commands us to meet regularly with other believers via the local church. Um, and so if this certain decision that you're thinking of making is going to take you away from that and causes you to be disobedient to that command, then probably I would say you have to reconsider. Okay? And, and so on and so forth when it comes to different things that Scripture clearly teaches us. But beyond that, I would ask questions like, well, like, what is your desire? What do you want to do? Because there's weight to that, too, in Scripture. Or does this particular thing allow you to exercise your gifts in the way that God has gifted you? Or has God actually opened up doors or opportunities? Like, you might want to do something, but there's just no opportunity to do it. Right? That's part of the things to think through. Here's what I will say. At the end of the day, if we want to make wise decisions, then we need to be humble. Okay? We need to be humble. Now, we can ask others for counsel. We can hear what they have to say. But unless we are humble, we're still going to do what we want to do. We, so we have to be humble and honest about counting the cost of making certain decisions. We have to be honest about the implications that certain decisions might make on our spiritual lives. Right? We, have, we have to be honest about where we're actually gifted. Um, we have to be humble in seeking the Lord in prayer for direction. Uh, so, yeah, again, you have to ask the right questions. But more importantly, you really need to be humble and honest in how you evaluate those questions for yourself. So when we understand that our goal and our responsibility is simply to follow God's revealed will for our lives in Scripture, um, I hope you see that that is incredibly freeing. Right? Like That should lift a burden off of your shoulders. You don't have to be left worrying about whether you are in or out of God's will. Like, what if I was supposed to choose this option um, instead of that option? Like, am I just relegated to, like, second best in my life? Am I just going to be miserable for, the, miserable for the rest of my life? Um, I found these diagrams I thought were pretty funny. I think this is sometimes how we think about God's will, right? Like, this is a bullseye, and we're like, we have to hit right in the middle, because that is, like, the, the small area that God will bless me. And if I, like, slight, I'm slightly off, like, God might be a little disappointed in me. And if I just, like, completely choose the wrong thing, God is just angry at me, right? Like, he's not happy at all with my situation. 
Um, or sometimes we think about it like this, like you think about all of these decisions that you have to make in your day, um, and then you think about like all the decisions tomorrow and in the future, and you're like, where, like, where do I end up? Which you know, like, path does God want me to go on? Right? And so we make all of our, our decisions, and we end up here, and we're like, oh, hopefully I made the right decision. And then we find out, oh, like, I just missed it. Right? <laughs> if I made this small decision right yesterday, like at 3 p.m., like, I would have been in God's will. And I hope you see, like, that's not how God's will works. Right? We don't have to be afraid of making the wrong choices, or we don't have to be paralyzed by second-guessing our plans. God is sovereign enough to not only know all of those decisions beforehand, but He is sovereign enough to ordain them and to orchestrate them for His greater plan. And so, whether and who you choose to marry, what job you end up having, what church you choose to attend, all of these things, all of, all of these decisions are simply tools in God's hand. Okay, they are to serve His glory and your good. And so our greatest need as people with finite knowledge is not to know the detailed plan of God, but it is to know God Himself. But we need to learn to put aside our obsession with knowing the future. Uh, we have to understand that God with you today is better than this detailed knowledge of your tomorrow. And so again, guys, like, don't miss out on today. I know you guys are already thinking ahead, uh, what God want, but don't miss out on what God's wa- God wants to do in you and through you today, right now, because you're so caught up in obsessing about tomorrow. Uh, Matthew 6, 33-34, this is a really helpful passage. It says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see that? What are we supposed to seek? What are we supposed to pursue? God's kingdom and His righteousness. We're not supposed to seek your future or tomorrow. We seek God's kingdom and His righteousness. Um, Kevin DeYoung, he has a really helpful quote. He puts it like this. God's will for our lives is much simpler than conventional approach. The will of God for our lives is that we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. The most important decision we face is the daily decision to live for Christ and to die to self. If we do those two things, then we are free to choose between jobs and schools and location. God wants us to stop obsessing about the future and trust that he holds the future. All right, so that's the second thing. We, we seek God's revealed will through scripture. Um, last implication reminds us of our need to surrender to and trust in God's sovereign will for our lives. It reminds us of our need to surrender to and trust in God's sovereign will for our lives. Um, So far, we've spent a lot of time talking about submitting to God's revealed will for your life when things are unclear. Right. When it's like not black or white things like, oh, what school should I go to or what job should I choose? Um, But I want to talk about what about doing God's revealed will when things are hard? Right? Not just when things are unclear, but when things are unfavorable. See, it's one thing to pursue the will of God when you have to decide between like this six-figure job down here in SoCal, uh, SoCal or this fix, six-figure job up in NorCal. Right? And, like, I don't want to minimize the thought that needs to go into that. Um, but it is an entirely different thing to accept and to embrace God's will when you're in the middle of trial and suffering. Right? It's like a totally different thing to embrace God's will when things are hard. 
Like when you've applied for dozens and dozens of jobs and you still don't have an offer. Or when you're, you're super unhappy with what you're doing. Right? Like how do we learn to embrace God's will in those moments? Um, and I, I, I do want to acknowledge that it's hard. Like it's not just the information like, oh, I can just put this in this category kind of thing. Like it's hard to embrace God's will. I, think, I hope we understand that what makes it difficult in those moments isn't just those circumstances themselves, but it's our own hearts. Right? There's this poem um, by this man named William Ernest Henley, uh, this poem titled Invictus, and part of it goes like this. He writes, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And I think like, that so accurately describes humanity. Right? Like we want to be the captains of our own fate. We want to control our lives. And so when we are forced to embrace this will that is not our own, when we're forced to like, accept something that we wouldn't choose for ourselves, of course it's going to be hard. Because it's this struggle for control. Um, and maybe that is you tonight. Like Maybe when you think of God's will, it's not so much like, which options should I choose, but it's why are things the way that they are? Like, why are my circumstances like this? Why, God, is this your will for my life? And if that's you, then I want you to know that there is someone who can sympathize with you in your struggle. All right, turn to Matthew 26. We're going to be in verses 36 to 42. Says this, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. You can stop right there. I think this is a familiar passage to us, right? This is the night that Jesus is about to be arrested. Um, and Matthew says that Jesus, his soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He's falling on his face. Why? But because for the first time, Jesus is, what's happening is Jesus is getting a taste of the cross. Right? He's getting a taste of what's coming for him on the cross. And what we see here is this picture of him struggling to embrace God's will. Look at verse 39. He says, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42. My father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. In other words, Jesus says, if there's any other way to do this, if there's any other way to accomplish salvation, to bring about forgiveness, Father, let me have that instead. Right? Like, If there's any other alternative, any other possibility, like, can you let that happen? But what does he say? He says, not as I will, but as you will. Guys, when we talk about trusting God because he is good and because he is wise and because he is loving, um, 
I hope you understand, and I think this passage shows us, that he is a God who not only tells us that he loves us, but he demonstrates that he loves us. Right? Like that's, what hap- that's what's happening here. If there's any other way to accomplish salvation aside from the cross, any other way, God would have done it. But there was no other way. Right? Like he had to kill his son. He had to kill Jesus. And that is how much God loves you. And if God is willing to do that, Romans 8.32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? When you think about God's will and, and what that might mean for your life, like what God might bring into your life in his sovereignty and his wisdom, realize that the worst, the scariest thing that it could ever bring your way has already come on Christ. Right? And no one understands better than Jesus how difficult it can be to embrace God's will. And no, no human suffered more in embracing God's will, the will of God the Father, than God the Son. And because Christ chose to submit to the Father's will, not my will, but yours be done, because he chose to submit to God's will rather than to cling tightly to his own, we benefit from that, right? We've been brought near. We know a God and a Father who is for us and not against us. And if we know that that is a God who is for us, then that means we can trust him whatever he brings into our lives. So whether it means stepping out in faith and making a decision or whether that means enduring faithfully the circumstances that God has sovereignly willed for you in your life right now, we are called not to figure out God's plans so that they are crystal clear to us, but we are called to trust in the crystal clear character of God. Let me close with just two illustrations. First one is this. Many of you know Tim Keller. Right? He is um, the pastor of Redeemer uh, Presbyterian Church in New York. Um, And I read this interview where he talks about the very beginning of his ministry um, when him and his wife first moved to Manhattan to start the church. And a bunch of people would ask him, like, hey, are you sure that God has called you to plant this church? And this was what he said. He said, no, I think he did. I see an opportunity. I don't see anybody else taking the opportunity. I feel an obligation to come. I think it's a good idea. I think God's calling me, but I can't be absolutely sure. I can be sure that I must not lie. It's in the Bible. I can be sure that I must not bow down to idols. It's in the Bible. I can be sure on a lot of things that are God's will. But as far as I know, I won't be sure that I'm called to plant a church until it happens. Can you imagine, like, we planted a church in Texas, you know, a few years ago. Can you imagine if, like, Pastor Jesse said that, you know? Like, do you feel called to plant this church? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) But it's happening. Right? That's basically what he says. And so the follow-up question would be, well, like, were you at peace with it? Like, how did you feel about it? And this is what Tim Keller would say. Um, Did you have peace about it? He said, no, it was too hard of a decision. It was too scary. But I know this, and this this is really important. He says, guidance is as much something God does as it is something that he gives. Therefore, I knew that by selling my house and moving up here and signing a three-year lease, that if I failed to plant a church, God was preparing me for something that I couldn't envision. Man, that is so good. Right? Beacon, can we have that same attitude? 
to have biblical convictions and to know that that to know what God has called us to do as clearly revealed in scripture and to faithfully live that out. And yet to trust that if God in his goodness and his wisdom and his love decides to do something other than what we expected, to know that he's preparing us for something far better than we cannot envision. Yeah, that's the first illustration. Second illustration. Um, I've mentioned, I mentioned this in the first message a little bit. I think understanding God's will biblically, um, it changes how we counsel people. Right? I, want, I want to make this more horizontal. I want us to think about other people. Like It changes how we love people. Um, when it happens to us, like we totally understand what it's like to live in the gray. Right to like be uncertain, right to like be rustling through this major decision that you have to make in your life, or to be struggling through this difficult circumstance, and it's hard and it's confusing, and like sometimes you can have so much counsel, you can talk to all the pastors in the world, and like you still don't know what to do, right? Because it's it's like so unclear, you're confused, you don't know what to do. So we know what that's like, and yet. When it comes to having to walk alongside someone who's going through the same thing, I think we are often a lot less patient. And I think we're a lot less understanding. And I think we want clarity. Right? We want everything to be figured out. We want, um, yeah, we want clarity, sure, for the other person's sake. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we want clarity for our own sake. right? So we don't have to walk with this person through all the messiness and all the confusion um, and all the, the heartbreak and, and stuff like that. Um, a while back, one of my friends, he, he went through a long season of unemployment. And he was looking for a job uh, much longer than he anticipated. And on top of, all, on top of all, all of that, there were just a bunch of other things that just for whatever reason hadn't worked out. Um, and, and me and this friend, we used to have conversations regularly. Um, and he would like share with me everything. He'd tell me everything going on, all of his thoughts, all of his frustrations and discouragements. Um, and we had these conversations for like months. Like, maybe even over a year. Like, we had these conversations weekly. And I found myself, like, having just a whole wide range of responses. Like, I'd be encouraged when he, we had, he had victories. Uh, I would try to empathize with him. I'd feel frustrated for him. I would feel frustrated at him. And so often, like, I just found myself just wanting clarity. Like, God, just give him a job already. Or, God, just allow him to get into this program that he applied to already. Or just make it easy already. And I think in that, I realized that I, I had become so fixated on wanting God to just resolve everything that I lost sight of the fact that this was God's will for my friend's life at that point in time. Right? This is what God wanted for him. It was God's good and wise and loving and sovereign will. And what God had called me to do in that moment as his friend and his brother was not just to rush to fix it um, or eagerly wait for resolution, but to be willing to sacrificially and patiently walk with him as he went through the gray, right? as he went through all of this. And so how does biblically understanding the will of God change the way that I counsel my friend? Well, one, it, I needed to learn to empathize with him. Right? Like I needed to learn how to like, cry with him and hurt with him and, and celebrate with him, knowing that God was right there with him, that God didn't delight in his joblessness or his discouragement or all the difficulty that he was going through. But secondly, I needed to lovingly and to gently direct my friend, uh, his gaze above his circumstances to God who is sovereign. Right? I needed to help my friend to see God still. 
And that was the best thing that I could do for him. Um, on my friend's wall in his room, there were uh, a bunch of pieces of paper taped to the wall. And on these pieces of paper, he wrote a bunch of different goals. So he'd write like this scholarship program, and then he'd write like a deadline date underneath it. Um, and as time went by, like he had a bunch of these on the wall. Um, and as time went by, these deadlines would pass. And like whenever he, he uh, accomplished it, he would check it off. Right? And as time would uh, go by, it would, just, it would pass without, without having been completed. Right? Just a bunch of like plans and deadlines that were passed already. And when you look at it as like an observer, it became this like exhibit of plans that, that were made that didn't work out. Um, you guys know the Museum of Broken Relationships. Right? Like it kind of reminded me of that. It's like just this thing that didn't work out. Like it's really depressing. But there's this one particular sheet of paper that, that caught my attention. Um, all of these other ones, they have a goal, like a, a thing to do, and then a deadline. Um, but this one, it just had a phrase. And this is what it said. It said, trust the promises, not the perception. Trust the promises, not the perception. And I needed that reminder right, as I was walking with him. And he needed that reminder. And I think, uh, by the grace of God, I think he learned that better through that season of life. I think we all need that reminder. I trust the promises, not the perception. And so what are some of those promises? Well, Psalm 23, it says that he is your shepherd. It says that he, he makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. He restores your soul. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It says that surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Right? And at the end of Psalm 23, when you really comprehend all of that, the psalmist concludes, and he says, I shall not want. I shall not want. In other words, I trust him, I surrender to him, and I pray with faith, not my will, but yours be done. Right? Beacon, I pray that that would be us as well. Right? As we reflect on the character of God, it would lead us to say, I shall not want, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, again for your word, um, not just that it guides us and teaches us how to live, but even more importantly, it, it shows us um, your character, and we get to know you more through it. We get to know that you are a shepherd, that you lead us by still waters, you protect us and you guide us, um, you hold us by the hand and, and you lead us. Um, and so, Father, I pray that as we seek to apply this message, even as we move into conversations in our small groups, that your character will be crystal clear in our minds. It would be our cornerstone, our foundation. Um, as we think about the future, that we would be able to, uh, yes, live wisely and, and make sound decisions. But even more than that, to rest and to trust in you um, and to know that, uh, yeah, that your will for us is, is Christ-likeness in our sanctification. And so, uh, Gorillas, Lord, I pray that uh, you help us to apply the word. And as I pray for just a blessed time in small groups. Uh, we thank you, Lord. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.